59. Today we have a, another special episode. We're doing the third part of our supporting recovery series today. We are with Caitlin, who is the daughter of someone we've actually recorded a recovery story with. So we'll just kind of start with some basic questions. Um, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Sylvana, born and raised at the hospital. Nice. Yeah, I actually did all my college here, so I never left. <laughs> yeah. You graduated, you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. What's your yeah. degree in? Um, a radiologic technology degree from mm-hmm. the University of Alaska. Nice. I do x-rays. Oh, cool. Nice. So we've listened to your dad's story before. So when you were young, you guys were living out in Sterling, right? Mm-hmm. So let's bring it back to childhood. When was some of your first memories of childhood? And was your dad sober at the time? Or um, when he was sober, I guess. Yeah, so I actually have a lot of good memories with my dad when I was really young. Um, we would get out and do a lot. Um, he would take me to work sometimes. I think the only uh, memory of him kind of maybe drinking and not really being around when I was young would be like when bedtime would roll around and I remember my mom would be like, let's write dad a note or something because he wasn't there. I think he was out with his friends or whatever. Um, and I just remember that I would always put like, I hope you come home with a puppy. <laughs> you know? yeah. I was young. I don't think I really thought anything of it. Just that he wasn't there for bedtime, you know, not like a huge deal. I was just really hoping I would get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from your but, perspective, it's like, oh, he's just spending the night at a friend's house. Yeah, kind yeah, of thing, yeah. didn't think too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think as I got older, um, and kind of started to realize, oh, you know, like, my dad doesn't go to any of my sporting events or anything like that. And even then, it didn't really hit me too hard because my mom was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when, oh, maybe like middle school, freshman year, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I was talking about my dad and somebody said, oh, you have a dad? And I was like, uh, yeah, everybody has a dad. And mm-hmm. they were like, no, but like, your dad like is here and lives with you. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I was so confused. And then I realized it's because nobody had ever met him. Nobody had ever uh, seen him at my games or, you know, he didn't come to the school to pick us up or anything like that, you know. I mean, maybe in elementary school, but yeah, as I got older, then I kind of realized like, oh, I never really noticed, I guess, until I until I noticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So, how old were you? Do you think when when you started to catch on to that, or at least your friends mentioned, you know, oh, <laughs> something's different. Yeah, I would say um, middle school, beginning of high school, mm-hmm. um, and then by then too, we didn't have the best relationship. Like I remember, you know, I started dating, and it was kind of like. I didn't have that dad that was like, hey, you better bring my daughter back here before 10 a.m. or 10 a.m. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. 10 p.m. Classic dad. Hey, just, you know, bring her back in the morning, I guess. <laughs> just swing her by whenever. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, it's too early. 
you know, my dad's kind of just at home chilling. Like, does he even care, like, mm. what I'm up to or, you know, but I think it really started to kind of set in um, when I became, like, a teenager and driving and we, we weren't very close and just a lot of arguments. And I actually remember, like, as soon as I could drive, I was, like, never home because mm. it just kind of felt toxic. Mm-hmm. My parents were always fighting. Um, I remember like wishing, oh God, I wish I would just get a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like who wishes that? But that's just how like annoying it was, you know, just mm-hmm. constant arguing. And, um, yeah, but I remember when I could drive, I was always with my friends or working or driving my brother around, you know, mm-hmm. anything to not be home. Yeah. <laughs> so were you and your mom close at all? Um, we were, yeah. If I needed anything, mm-hmm. um, she was the one I would go to because mm-hmm. I knew that, like, I could depend on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say that, like, both of the relationships um, with my parents have improved as I've gotten older. But I think my mom's has as well, just almost just as much as my my dad. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. today, I'm, like, best friends with both of them. So. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, I just remember... She was just the one that would always be there, but um, I didn't really, I don't really remember having like a strong connection or anything like that. Like, you know, we didn't really go out and do anything fun. It was fun. So what was your, what was your outlook on alcohol uh, when you are in those ages, you know, where socially like kids are, kids around you are starting to <clears throat> probably experiment a little bit and do things yeah. like that. What was your outlook on that as you approach um, it? So I remember... My senior year of high school, I went to my first, like, party or whatever. Um, and it wasn't actually until, like, May, like, right before we graduated. I wasn't ever super into, like, going out to, like, house parties and drinking or anything. And I don't really know if the connection was because my dad was an alcoholic or if it was just kind of, like, I had other things to do. Um, but I remember I went to my first party or whatever. And... Um, I didn't really think much of it. I didn't really have that thought of like, you know, my dad's an alcoholic. Like I could be too. I have to be careful type thing. That didn't hit me until later. Um, after, like when I was in college. Um, and that and that's when my dad's addiction really spiraled out of control. And um, I remember like, I would be having fun with my friends, drinking, even, like, of age. Like, I'm 21, you know, I don't mean, like, then I was 21. And I was, you know, allowed to drink. And sometimes, you know, I'd go out with my friends, and then it would just be, like, I would just get sick. Like, I would literally just, even the thought of alcohol made me sick. And so I stopped drinking for a long time. Um, Like... I would go out still and have fun with my friends, but I would either be like the DD or just just not drink. And at that point, to me, it was almost kind of cool because I didn't really need the alcohol to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I was still having fun. And then if it got to a point where people, you know, they're drunk, they're annoying, I'm not on the same level, and then I'm just like, okay, bye. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm over it. But um, <clears throat> and I think that... Um, at that point, I was struggling with a lot of anxiety as well, because I guess if you rewind to 
um, the height of my dad's addiction um, and when my parents had officially split, um, my dad had actually went to jail. Um, and so at this point, I, I had already moved out, been at my first apartment, and then that lease was up at a different place where I had a bunch of roommates. So I think there was like five of us in the house. Mm -hmm. um, working, going to school, doing whatever we were doing. And um, I remember thinking, like, I got the phone call from my mom, like, okay, well, your dad was just arrested. And I was like, what? I was like, what is even going on? And um, I remember, like, whenever it was time for me to kind of move out and do my own thing, I was, like, so excited. Like, finally, you know. But then part of me felt guilty because I had a younger brother mm. and he was still there. I think at that point he was done with high school, but he still wasn't at a point where he could move out. And I just remember thinking like, oh no, like I hope he reaches out to me or calls if he needs anything because I knew what it was like to live there and be, you know, just such a toxic place. Like, you know, like whether or not dad was drunk and being mean or, you know, you're coming home and, you know, I don't know how much I want to share, but right. I've, uh, you know, I remember coming home one day and I was like, what the heck, you know, my dad's laying on the floor, looks like he fell off the couch or something and he's in his own barf. Yeah. And I'm like, what on earth? So I go over to my mom's room and I'm like, you know, dad's out in the living room, like passed out in his own barf, right? You know, she's like, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh my God. So I go out there and I'm like, okay, dad, you know, get up. And he's like, oh, you know, all wasted. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, okay, I'm not cleaning up the barf, but like, get up off the floor. Right. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And uh, and then I remember I was like, all right, I'm done. And I grabbed a few things and I left again mm -hmm. because I just, I couldn't be around it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I felt bad when I left. Right. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's an important mm -hmm. piece, you know, for other people. I mean, who happen to might hear this and kind of be in a similar situation or you are even in any toxic environment. Obviously, when there's alcoholism involved, like it's probably going to be toxic a lot yeah. of the time. And even just toxic environments in general. Sometimes like some people like as parents, like just at some point in life may not get along very well. And at that, at that point, it gets toxic for either the child or even if you're an older child, because like I'm... I feel you just in the yeah. toxic environment sense yeah. and like in the, especially in the guilty sense, you know, when you finally do move away and you're like, Oh man, they're not gonna be able to keep it together without me. You're like, mm -hmm. this is like, you feel like you're an important part of that fabric for anybody that's out there listening. I feel like Caitlin would probably agree with me. Like it's just best. If you have the opportunity to kind of get out, like, you got to mm -hmm. do it. It's for your yeah. own sake. It doesn't help to have three toxic people instead of two. Yeah. It's hard to let go, but at some point, you know, you got to try your best mm -hmm. kind of let that go and, your role isn't the referee right you're not yeah. supposed to even if you feel like without you it, it can't stick together that's not your place necessarily it's not a role that you should have to fulfill it's like, not your role i think that's right yeah. yeah it's yes. not your role yeah. especially as the child yeah you know and, and i don't place any blame on my parents at all they did the best they could with what they had but mm -hmm. but me being the child in that situation you know exactly it's not my place i shouldn't have to be in that position um, so, yeah. I feel that. What was, <laughs> yeah. what was it like 
at some point you must have realized maybe not necessarily in the sense of like maturity, but you actually had to, like, you had to take care of your dad. And maybe that wasn't the first time. What was that like? How did it feel as a kid? You're like, oh man, you know, I'm taking care of the person who originally took care of me and here I am scooping them off the floor. Like, come on. I think, um, I didn't really get that point until I was, um, in my early adult years. So just a couple Mm -hmm. years ago, it kind of really started the, like I said, the real spiral of the addiction and alcoholism. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, like, it's not that time yet. I'm not supposed to have to take care of Mm -hmm. my dad yet. Like he's not 80, 90 years old what's happening like something's going wrong because I shouldn't have to be stepping in yet mm-hmm. and so and then it's like you know guilt frustration um you know I would get annoyed because it's like just get your stuff together like you know but I think in the beginning too I was um naive because so sorry to bounce around here but to go back to when he went to jail he was there for I think like a month, month and a half, something like that. So um, I remember when he was getting out and, and I did go once a week out to the jail and visit him and talk to him. And I actually went um, the very next day that he was taken. And I remember sitting there waiting. And at this point, we know the visitation was like through glass or whatever that stuff is. And, and I remember um, he walked out like, the guard was bringing him to sit down and I just started crying because I'm thinking like, this is not my life. Like, this isn't my life. Like I don't have parents who go to jail. I don't have parents who like, I was just so distraught and blown away. Like I remember just tears streaming down my face. Like what's happening? Like, what did I miss? Because I hadn't been home and I was really kicking myself at that point too, because I knew from my mom that my dad was kind of in a bad place. And, um, I hadn't seen him in like a month, even though we lived in the same town. You know, I was going to college, I was working, I was trying to do my own thing. And I just remember thinking like, dang, if I would have just went out there and talked to him, because he lived in Sterling um, farther than I did at that point. And so that's what I mean by say, go out there. Um, you know, and I just remember kicking myself like, like I could have done better. And now I'm like, that's not my fault. That's mm-hmm. not, you know, but in the, in the moment, I was just like, oh no, I could have done more or whatever. So I remember they brought him out and I'm like crying. And I remember I picked up uh, the phone thingy that so you could talk to each other. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, like, what did you do? I don't understand. And um, I just remember telling him like my phone number like 80 times, like you have to memorize it. You have to know my phone number so that you can call me I'm gonna set it up so you know you have to like pay to talk to people or whatever mm-hmm. and so it'll be like before um I left like I made sure he had memorized it because I'm like I gotta figure out you know and then we set up visitation at his building he was gonna be in he had to know like my uh license like ID number <laughs> and I'm like oh my god he can't even remember my birthday like how is he, <laughs> how is he gonna remember all this stuff like he's gotta know my phone number I'm like you know, he, he finally called me and I had everything set up and ready to go. And I'm like, okay, are you allowed to have like a pencil? Do you have a piece of paper? <laughs> like, can you write this down? Cause you're not going to remember this, you know? I just remember being so like, I don't know, scared, I guess, because 
And then part of me, you know, is like scared also because he's in jail. Like there's murderers in there, you know, like, and yeah, this isn't like the Seward prison where it's like hardcore stuff, but there's people who, you know, do well, who have like done really horrible things who are just in there. Like, and, and at this point I was scared too, because I knew that my dad was in such a low place that he would be capable of being like, oh, whatever, like this person wants to punch me in the face. Like, I just knew he was in such a bad place and he felt like he deserved that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, you know? And I remember too, like, it's been a long, long road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that was kind of the beginning. So after that, um, I s- scraped up some uh, money. I know his, his uh, dad, I talked to him and he doesn't live here he lives out of state and he was able to send my dad a little bit of money to get on his feet and I talked to my roommates which was very hard for me to do to ask them like hey we have a spare room can my dad who's coming out of jail (laughs) stay there to get on his feet and I remember being so embarrassed I didn't even want to ask but this was like December 1st I was getting him from the jail and it's like Okay, full blown winter at the time, it's snow, it's cold. And I just remember being like, Keelan, you don't have another option. Like, this is your dad. This is a person. You're supposed to just let him, like, figure it out on his own. Like, it was so hard for me. Like, I, I couldn't get past the, the point of, like, he's on his own. Like, I knew that he was at an all-time low. And I just, I couldn't give up. So I... Got over myself and I asked my roommates, you know, hey, is it okay if my dad stays here? Like, he has money to pay a month of, you know, rent if he's gonna chip in. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, he was in jail for a month and a half or whatever. So he's clean and sober. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so naive at this point, thinking, like, oh, it's gonna be easy. Like, he's got it out of the system. You know, he could just choose to be better. He can choose to not pick up the bottle or the beer, or whatever, and that just was not the case, and it hit me hard, because I remember thinking, like, here I am going out of my way to help you, and a month went by, and then two weeks into the next month, and I was like, dad, what are you doing, and I remember he had kind of acted a little bit weird, and my friends and I were like, they were like, what the heck, you know, it never occurred to me that he was drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right, that he yeah. was like drinking in private. And when I figured it out, I just kind of snapped and I was like, no. So I had to kick him out. Mm-hmm. And that was not easy. It was not easy. I finally was just like, no. So I remember um, I had heard about this place because at this point he still has nowhere to go. And now he's boozed away his entire little money fund to get on his feet right uh because at that point the divorce hadn't gone through yet so he didn't have any like belongings and he wasn't allowed back to the house he like didn't have anything anything that he had i had to go get mm-hmm. um so i remember um being like you've had a month and a half to get on your feet and you just drank away all that money like i don't have anything else for you like i'm in college i'm going to school full-time, working part-time, trying to make my own ends meet, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember I had air miles saved, and I was like, okay, so 
I'll use my miles to get you to your mom in California. And at first he's like, no, 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 absolutely not, you know. And then he finally was like, okay. So I reached out to her and she was like, no. And I remember feeling so defeated. Like I had come up with this perfect plan. And honestly, looking back at it now, I'm so thankful that he didn't know mm-hmm. because he would not be where he is right now. If he would have ended up there, I'm sure he would have um, continued to be an alcoholic and God only knows what would have happened. But um, I'm so thankful that it didn't work out because of where he's at now. And now knowing all that we know, if that makes any sense at all, <laughs> it just, it would not have ended well. I just know it wouldn't have. And um, so anyway, I had heard about this place out in uh, North Kenai, Marianne and Skipper. They run this um, friendship mission place mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, you know. So I go upstairs and I'm like, I know you're stuck. Get your stuff and get out. I'm taking you to this place where you'll have a friend. And um, we get everything together, we get out there, and I'm dropping them off, and they're like, okay, well, you know, no alcohol, no this or that, blah, 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 blah. And my dad pulls out, like, a bottle of Ron off from his pocket, a beer, and I'm like, oh, my God. My jaw just, like, it hits the ground. I'm like, this is your one chance. Like, oh, my gosh. And then I'm thinking they're going to be like, absolutely not. And then I'd have to just take it back home. <laughs> what am I going to do, you know? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I have school. I have work. Like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, I was just starting to, like, break. I literally just didn't know what to do. And um, <laughs> I just remember them taking everything. And, and he was clearly drunk. And they still they still took him in and were like, okay, yeah, go go put your stuff in your room, you know, these, these are the rules, like, if you break the rules, you're out, mm-hmm. you know, and I started to cry, and I remember Marianne was like, are you okay, and I was like, yes, I just can't believe, you know, that he would do that, I was so embarrassed, and, like, I was just telling her, like, I just can't do it anymore, you know, I'm, I'm a working student, and I have my own life that I'm trying to, you know, get on with and at that point I was in the actual program and so there was no like let me just take a break you know let me just pause school for a second and try to deal with my own life and my dad's life and it was just no there was no option of that and um so he was there for a while uh got into some situations I think he at one point got kicked out for three days a three-day period and um I think he like had some money to stay somewhere or something at this point I was like praying loving caring from a distance Mm -hmm. I had reached my point where I was like no I I can't do it anymore like you took advantage of the situation I set up for you I remember just being so upset and and so I just you know stayed kept my distance and um I would still talk to him and you know pray and and all that but you know with that came severe anxiety for me um I kept getting phone calls like that he was in the hospital um he had gotten really hurt at one point broken leg broken nose and I remember I went to the hospital and I asked him what happened you know he tells me some bs story and I'm like 
Come on, okay. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Knew he was lying. Um, then I just kept my distance still. And then um, another accident happened. Um, you know, him and his friend were, this was like, I think the lowest of his addiction were um, him and his friend were out on the beach uh, driving around drunk. His truck um, and Casilla off, and they totaled it. Like, my dad broke his back, um, facial bones. I just remember thinking the next phone call I get is going to be that he's dead. And at that point, I um, had actually um, reached out to my doctor about my anxiety because it was just becoming so. Um, so hard for me to handle and I had everything else that I was worrying about but then also to like be so like scared that the next phone call I was gonna get yeah. like my dad would just be dead and that's hard man like for a kid like how do you prepare for the passing of a parent you're you're planning for their death you're like you know it's like so imminent mm-hmm. it's right there on your front door the next call I'm gonna get again is that he's dead you know mm-hmm. like how do you prepare for the death of someone who's still living? You know, and like, yeah. you want to have hope. I don't know how much you really have, you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried. And like, so how do you keep going? What were your next steps? Yeah, so I just remember at that point, so then he was in the hospital and he wasn't going anywhere for a little while because his back was broken. And I remember like asking him like, you know, dad, why am I not enough? Why am I not enough for you to want to get better? Like, don't you want to be around for, you know, walking me down the aisle eventually, your future grandchildren? Like, at that point, um, you know, maybe I was taking it a little bit too personally, but, like, as his daughter, that's just what was in the back of my mind is that, like, you just don't even care. Like, you don't want to be around to see me succeed, graduate college, like, even that wasn't enough, you know, let alone his own life and his own, his own things to achieve and do things to see. Like, you know, everyone has their own stuff that keeps him going, but then to even think like he has children and he doesn't, even that's not enough, you know. Um, I can see from just looking back at your story that starts out, you feel bad for him. You know, he's in prison. You're like, oh, man, he's a good person, but he's just in a bad place, Mm -hmm. you know, with these people who are bad and in a bad place. Mm -hmm. But then as you get older and you start to realize that this is a a reoccurring problem, that this is a a longer struggle, I was kind of waiting for that to turn into frustration or even anger because Mm -hmm. from the outside, it just looks like self-pity, you know, like, oh, you think you're such a bad person and now you don't want to live and all these people care about you, like, come on, just pull it together. But you don't see the inside struggle. I mean, you don't even have that perspective of, of what addiction looks like. And so from the outside, it I can totally see how it would go from from feeling bad to being like, what are you doing? And, and being really frustrated. Yeah, and I remember talking to my mom too, like whenever things really started to spiral and I was like, God, we had this time to get his stuff together and I did all I could do to help him. And he still just didn't get on his feet. 
And your mom's like, bro, been there, done that, like, so many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. And, and I just remember telling her, like, I, I wish, you know, at that point I was telling myself, like, I wish that I could just wash my hands of it, but I couldn't. I, I just couldn't. Like, not only is this person, like, my dad, you know, I'm, I'm a part of him, but he's a person, and I think, in a way, it might be easier. Like, I'm a super empathetic person, and so for me to put myself in his shoes, not making excuses for anything that he's done or his behavior, no, nothing like that, but just to think, like, you know, things went bad, and then here he is in jail, never been in jail in his entire life, you know, like, he's not a bad person, like you said, mm-hmm. and, you know, things just went bad, and, um, you know, my my mom had had enough, and I don't blame her at all, but, you know, she washed her hands, she was like, no, I'm done, like, I can't do it anymore, and, and I was all my dad had, like, he didn't have any other family here, I was the only person, you know, my brother chose to not be a part of it, and that's totally fine, but for me, it was just so much harder. I couldn't just walk away. And I think in the moment, it was extremely hard. But now I'm so glad that I like stuck through it all because here, here we are now and we have like the best relationship. And, you know, my dad finally had hit the point. He had ended up in the hospital again. And they were like, hey, you know, you're here all the time. Do you want help? Do you want us to get you help? And so then he went to the detox center. And, um, you know, he finally was like, yes, I do. Even after his his back was broken, he still, you know, was. And at that point, too, I don't know if I mentioned earlier in the year, he had broken his leg. Yeah, I think I did mention that. Yeah. Um, but he kept drinking, stumbling, falling. So that healing process was so drawn out. It was just ridiculous. He was unconscious for way longer than he should have been because he couldn't just stop drinking to heal. And same with his back. Um, you know, still in a really bad place, you know, with rough people. Um, ended up in the hospital again. Like the next, it was the next month. Yeah. Because July's was sober dates um and that was actually on his 50th birthday that he got in that car accident and broke his back which is in June um so anyway July rolled around and then they were like okay you know do you want to get help and and he finally was like yes please somebody save me mm-hmm. and um so after the detox center he went to Serenity House and then I was able to come and visit him, so he wasn't, like, allowed to have his cell phone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So then um, he finally called me from a phone there. And um, so I visited him a few times and participated in the family events and stuff like that that they did have that I was able to go to between school and work and everything. Did those interactions feel different than, like, the ones, like, when he was in jail or, like, you know, because he gets, like, when you're in jail and things like that, like, you forcibly get sober for a little bit. So, like, were those interactions with, like, sober him different in, like, these different circumstances? So, like, from jail to, like, Serenity House to, like, I guess probably wasn't very sober at the hospital. Like, when he comes first, comes home from jail? So, like... Yeah, yeah. It was completely different. And, like I said, I was pretty naive. Like, back when he, like, got out of jail, I was like, oh, no, he's sober now. Like, he's, mm-hmm. 
he's clean. Like, right. why can't he just stay that way? You know? <laughs> and I think, too, going to the family thing at uh, Serenity House, we watched a video that day um, about addiction and, like, addiction in general. And how, you know, of course, there's always all sorts of stuff all over Facebook I see that's, like, you know, addicts are horrible and, you know, they... They choose that life, you know. And I stay out of it because part of me wants to be like, you have no idea. Have you done research? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know even, like, what addiction is and what studies are out there? And, you know, having somebody who's so close to me fight the battle. And it's just like, I just have to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm just like it's not worth my time but mm-hmm. I do wish that some people before they just start typing about how messed up and how people choose that life of addiction and drugs and alcohol and like they have no idea mm-hmm. I think they'd hurt people you know I, I, I think that people who speak up about that have maybe encountered it and didn't understand it and it just tore them up inside and, mm-hmm. and you can't I don't think you can shame someone into changing I mean you can make them feel less valued or you can they the bottom line is I'm pretty sure they know what they're doing is wrong like, I'm pretty sure your dad knew that he was alienating himself from his family and that drinking while living at your house wasn't the right decision it wasn't like he was ignorant and needed someone to say hey, you're a piece of yeah. garbage and right. you need to clean up your act. Yeah. And he's like, oh, wow, that never occurred to me. Oh, I'm better. Thanks. Oh, that's the first time I heard that after coming out of jail. Yeah. yeah. It's like, whoa, okay, yeah, I'm on board. No, no, it's it's very much an internal struggle and very much yeah. a, a, a battle of understanding and, and finding resources to help rather than, you know, guilting, more or less. Um, and what was your... How were you emotionally when he said that he was going to get into recovery? Like, was it at a point where hope was more difficult because you had been through this long haul? I mean, I know it's his first time in a recovery uh, place, you know. Um, so what, what were your thoughts like? Yeah. Um, feelings? Actually, I felt the most relief mm. that I had and I think I knew, I just had this feeling like this is serious, like he's serious because he had not reached out at all for help or mm-hmm. wanted, he never said like, I want to be better. I want help. He never had said that. And so I think I just knew and I was able to just put everything aside and just trust that he was serious. And maybe part of me then was being somewhat naive too, but I think there's a, there's a fine line between like naive and hopeful though. Like when you really like think about it that way, because when you hear that, even the second, third, fourth time, what's the difference between naivety and hope in that situation? You know what I mean? Where you're like, right. You kind of, if you're not getting a little bit of hopeful, it's just kind of one of those things where you're like, all right, whatever. 
whatever. Maybe he feels that you don't believe in him and maybe it's just not like, yeah. I think that's maybe part yeah. of like what keeps people in addiction going is the fact that when not going into addiction, but like people getting into recovery mm-hmm. kind of what keeps people yeah. going is that like, mm-hmm. there's people that want me to get better. I want to get better. Like having that support and even just like that feeling of support, even if like you as like someone who's supporting somebody in recovery, like, and this sounds bad, but like, to their face, you're like, oh yeah, like this is like, dude, you're gonna get through this. We're gonna be better, and like, it's gonna like, you're gonna be better, and like, we're gonna help you through this. It's gonna be great. And then you walk out of the door and you say to your friend, yeah, he's probably gonna mess up. You know what I mean? Like, or something like that. But like, even if they know, because they might not, they might. Like, that's a thing yeah. too, dude. It's like, that's where we're kind of blurring that line between naivety and hope. Is the only thing that really tells you what side that line is you're on is how it works out. Like, I can see that. Because like, if it doesn't work out, you're like, man, I was so naive. But like if it does, you're like, I knew it. Yeah. So like I think kind of have to have that hope, you know, like a little bit. Otherwise, why like why do you keep why do you do it? Exactly. Like, no. And at, at that point, like you said, you know, even to their face, if you're not gonna be encouraging and you're not gonna be able to put your personal things aside and just be there for that person so that they know like they're rooting for me, they believe in me. You know, I have somebody. Then you should maybe not be their person. <laughs> you yeah. know, because they do. They need that encouragement, and they need to know that, like, you know, I have somebody. And you know, and like I said, like, I think what really kept me involved with my dad too, in a way, is also knowing that, like, I was the only person that he had. You know, at least family. I guess you know his friends though were also alcoholics yeah so so realistically yeah i was the only person and and that i think really helped me stick through the hard parts because just knowing that like if i also were to walk away then he would literally have nobody and i remember in the beginning hard parts when i i told my mom you know like i wish i could just run out wash my hands out but i just can't and also, I think part of that is that if anything were to have happened, if he were to have died because of his addiction, whether that would have been an accident that involved alcohol or him literally drinking himself to death, I don't think that I could have, I wouldn't have been able to say, like, I did everything I could and then, you know, be able to accept and move on. And I think that would have really destroyed me if I would have just walked away and something terrible would have happened. I guess that's kind of the anxiety kicking in there, but it's like putting up these scenarios of things that never happened, but it could happen. Um, Having that anxiety of like, just I have to try, I have to be there. And, you know, because if if something did happen, if it did happen, you know, and I wasn't there, I didn't try hard enough, then I would have to live with that. And I think that was something that was really hard for me too in the beginning that, you know, I, there was no option for me to just walk away. Mm-hmm. And we've seen in, in previous podcasts that a huge part of someone who's coming out of addiction, uh, them doing that successfully is having a life to come back to. If you want them to build a life mm-hmm. that is so good that it's not worth it to even go there. You know, and so like you said, all his friends drink and he's already burned basically all of his bridges. And so to him, it might look like, okay, I either drink with my friends and I'm not incredibly lonely 
Or I don't drink and I have nobody. Nobody. It's just me and I just sweat it out and then hopefully build relationships. But that looks that looks like so far away. You know, there's just yeah. no doesn't look like there's light at the end of the tunnel. So to have someone like you there saying, Hey, listen, if you can figure this out, we can repair some stuff. Like you'll at least have a relationship with your daughter. I think that's something that can drive someone even in the middle of real intense suffering of withdrawal of just understanding there is something on the other side that's, that's right. corporal that I can, you know, grasp that right. is waiting for me. And so I, I totally agree with you on, on supporting someone. And, you know, even whether or not it's your responsibility in the sense of, oh, what could have I done? You know, whether or not you see that as, oh, okay, that's not your responsibility. Like you said, you're going to have to live with that. And that's yeah. just something, whether or not, right or wrong, it's right. a real feeling that yeah. you're going to have to get through. Mm-hmm. So understanding this is this is going to be worth it knowing that I tried. And I definitely think that was the right path to take. Right. Yeah. And I think like even, you know, if there are people who, you know, you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and it's just not working. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's I, We've heard this in a couple of times, like especially talking like Sandy and Terry too. Mm-hmm. It's like having that hard conversation where you're like, when you're ready to be sober and you're ready to be in recovery and you're ready to really commit to this, come find me or call this number and we'll be around. But every time you call me and I hear you slur, I'm going to hang up. It's not good for me and it's not good for you. So when you're ready, come find me and I'm going to help you out. It's that balance, you know, between like enabling and loving somebody. Exactly. I think, um, in a way, I guess I can, you know, my mom's not here to agree or anything, but I think for her, she had to be like, no, I'm done. I'm completely done. Wash your hands of it. Because then at that point too, like not only is it like hurting her, but also still hurting my dad because of the enabling. And it's, and it's not easy. I mean, you know, there's multiple times where my dad would be like, Oh, please just give me a ride to the, to the gas station. And I'm like, the gas station. I'm like, you mean the liquor store? (laughs) <laughs> you know and at first a couple times I would get tricked and I'd be like really like you know and I would be like I would so badly want to be it's like, like I just want a no. bean burrito yeah. <laughs> I just want Snickers yeah. 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 yeah you know and I'm like I'm thinking to myself like oh my gosh I should be like no you're not allowed in my car like get out you know and then I think timing was almost everything too because it was winter and so I'm like oh my mom is like I can't do that you know mm-hmm. but then I caught on and I was like, no, I'm not taking you. That or I would make sure, even if it was out of the way, I would be going to a gas station that didn't have the liquor side. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to be tricked. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Like, you tried and now I caught on. Did that feel so, kind of bizarre, being sort of a parent in that situation? Yeah. Oh, my and God. telling your dad, yes. no, <laughs> we're not going to the store <laughs> and <Yeah>. no toys. <laughs> we <laughs> have food at home. Yep. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You microwave. No, no. I said no. Go to your. In in my dad's recovery, um, we had talked about that. Mm -hmm. How that was so strange for him as well. You know, to have his daughter saying no. Right. (laughs) And for me, and I think honestly, that's where that's where I kind of got, um, you know, I don't want to say tricked, but tricked in the beginning because I would be like, you know, here's my dad asking, oh, can you please take me here? there and I'm mm-hmm. like oh yeah 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 I was like, I'll do that for you and then I'm like wait a second 
you lied, or you tricked me, or mm-hmm. this gas station has a liquor inside, like, you know, and, and so, yeah, putting my foot down or saying no, or like, I'm not going to give you a ride here or there, it was very strange. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, and then I'd have to tell him, like, this isn't something I like to do. Like, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like to tell you no, like, yeah. it's weird. What were those conversations like when you two talked about that, like, afterwards, you know what I mean? Like, when you're, like, that conversation you're talking about, like, that's got to be kind of a bizarre conversation to have. Yeah. um, Yeah. I remember, so, he got his first pass of, like, being allowed to for a couple hours from Serenity House, and we just went uh, to the Duck Inn, because it was super close, and just got lunch, and we just got food, and we're able to talk, you know, a little bit, and he was saying how things were going well. We kind of talked about, like, the harder parts or the, the true stories, you know, like like I said before, you know, when he broke his leg and stuff, and I'm like, all right, I know that was a lie. Like, what really happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And just kind of, like, being honest and um, talking about some of the struggle, um, it was, it was strange, and, you know, and then some of it, too, like, I almost, like, didn't want to talk about quite yet, like, it was, like, okay, wait, like, let's just slow down and focus on, like, the, the recovery right now, and, like, you know, give it a little bit more time, and we can talk about, like, things that happened, you mm-hmm. know, before recovery, right. you know, just not wanting to really bring up any of those things yet, mm-hmm. like, so close to him, and how did you work through some of those things, like, in the moment? That's hard stuff. Like, when you come home from the hospital after seeing your dad, what is it like working through those emotions? Um, it was really hard. Uh, I had a few friends and stuff that I could share with, and I would still share with my mom. And I think that that was um, one of the hard things, too, is because I don't want to use the word hate, but you know, my parents are, like, you know, in this weird, like, we're getting divorced, but they don't talk, court dates are being set up, but I'm, like, struggling, and I'm trying, you know, like, I need my mom, but it's, like, about my dad, Yeah. and so that was really hard, um, to kind of, like, find almost somebody else to talk Mm -hmm. to, because there were some things that I would still go to her no matter what, but but there's got to be those boundaries then because of just things that have happened. And, um, you know, I can't really like go to one parent and be like, Oh, this is that, like, mm-hmm. you know, and it almost in a way I could tell was starting to fuel the fire mm-hmm. in my mom of the disappointment and being upset and right. everything like that. And then her seeing how all this stuff was affecting me. Um, so I kind of had to reach out to some to my friends and some people knew and then I mean I work at the hospital mm-hmm. so when my dad would be there um <laughs> it was kind of awkward like oh your dad's in the hospital again you know and I'm like oh shit um, or, what? Or, no. <laughs> no. oh my dad's upstairs he was in a car accident last night and it takes like a few minute break upstairs seeing my dad will be back you know it was just mm-hmm. some people knew um and, and like I said I, I do x-rays and so in all his accidents, he's had lots of x-rays. Um, and so I think some people also would get an awkward, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And then 
of course there's like you know HIPAA laws and stuff like that where you're not supposed to say like hey I just x-rayed your dad right. <laughs> but it's like when you work there it's just so many awkward things and mm-hmm. and just working through like not embarrassment but kind of like you know being like just on the other wall in my dad's like in the emergency room drawn for again and it's just mm-hmm. like kind of you know it's hard dude I think um I would talk to uh my close friend Ruby a lot mm-hmm. and she she was there for a lot of it and um there was even one point too where we were like going out to eat we would just order our food and then I get a call and I'm like oh. like what do I do? Like I go tell them there's an emergency, can I pay for my stuff? Get it to go real fast and and so she had gone to the hospital with me and back in the room and saw him that day too, you know, and she's like Oh my gosh, like when he left, you know, it's like that. He's not doing good. Mm-hmm. But um, I think a lot of it too, I kind of had to keep to myself and process myself. And um, some of it I'm still, you know, kind of working through it or just like with the alcohol, you know, like I'm legally allowed to go and have a drink with my friends mm-hmm. and. I kind of choose not to. Yeah. Um, I'll occasionally have, you know, like something special on like a, um, a special occasion, some champagne or something. But You're not like drinking to get drunk though. It's no, just more yeah. like, just like, oh yeah, for the occasion sort of thing. There's not yeah. that goal. And even then, um, part of me feels weird. And sometimes I find myself having to tell myself like, you're not the addict. It's mm-hmm. okay. You right. are allowed to have a drink. Because mm. you can handle it, and and even then, sometimes it's just a weird, um, just a weird like almost situation. a subconscious aver- aversion. Yeah, and yeah. and well, and I remember too. Whenever um, my dad had first gone to Serenity House, I was like, I, you know, I want you to know um, that I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Well, he was kind of like, oh, okay, and I and I told him, I'm like, you know. I'll do it with you. Together, we can find things to do that don't revolve around alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I think of, I think about the time too whenever I went to visit him there, and he gave me his first chip. Hmm. And I remember I kept myself together until I was driving away, and then I started to cry because. I knew then that it was serious, that mm-hmm. he was really in it this time. And I think it was like the 24 hour chip or something like that. Um, and then he would always show me all his chips when he would get them. And I think the next one he gave me was his nine months. Nice. He gave me his nine months chip. Yeah. Super cool. So I have those in a safe place still. So what does your guys' relationship look like now? Oh my gosh, we have so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> we are constantly laughing. Like, um, the more time I spend with my dad, the more I realize we have the same sense of humor. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we just have, like, the greatest time together, like, no matter what we're doing. Um, a lot of times, though, we'll just get together for lunch or dinner or something to kind of mm-hmm. catch up because life is still busy and he's working now. Mm, cool. Um, so he works too and, and I work and um or I'll have him over to my house for dinner 
Or we'll go to the beach, and I have two dogs, so we'll, like, get the dogs out, dog park, stuff like that, but... Finally got the puppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just had such a great time, and um, just about, like, the random stuff, too, though, but, oh my gosh, like... Well, this is over, I'll have to show you guys a really funny video. <laughs> uh, like, we're in, uh... Fred Myers. I don't know why this is so funny to me. We're in Fred Myers and we're looking at those like Bose speakers, you know? Mm-hmm. And people <laughs> like it's like blasting music and my dad just starts dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like pull out my phone that video I was cracking up. But no, just like we can just get together and just laugh the whole time and you know he I think you know, we have such a close relationship now, and I'm so, so thankful for that, because he really reminds me sometimes, you know, like, what life's all about, and just reminding me, like, you know, my happiness is, like, the most important thing, and encouraging me all the time to just continue with my career, or, you know, finishing school, and everything like that, and just the struggles that I've, like, come across and he's just got like good advice and um you know that's cool oh sorry you cut you off it's cool it sounds like it's kind of like it's really starting to come around do you know what I mean we're like yeah you know because obviously when you're a kid like financially and things he supports you and he hits some struggles and you kind of have to support him for a while Mm -hmm. and then now it's starting to even back out where he's kind of back being your dad again. Yeah. And like, that's got to be nice. Like you said, like in middle school, like your friends didn't even think you had a dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now like you have like the best dad you've ever had. And like, in like the prime of your life too. Mm-hmm. Like obviously when you're a kid, it's important too. But like, I don't know if I can speak for everyone, especially for me, but like my relationship with my dad's now is like way cooler than when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it just is dude like you're adults now it's more fun you can talk you can be more open and honest and like just have exactly. kind of more yeah. cool conversations so like it's but I guess the silver lining like I'm kind of discerning from this is that like at least you have him now yeah. and like in like that's kind of the best time going forward to have him you know because like you said like you didn't miss out on like grandkids or like weddings or anything exactly that's pretty cool yeah. It's funny how it's kind of backwards, too. You're like, now I can be more open with my dad, and now your dad can be more open with you. Yeah. Instead, yeah. it's like kind of opposite. Now I don't have to take care of you as much, which is mm-hmm. odd, but it's so good. It's so good to hear that that you're able to put that, put that kind of, or put that behind you, and mm-hmm. now it's maybe more like a, a bad dream rather than this surreal reality. I'm just like, what yeah. are we, What am I going to do every day? What am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? And you can't figure it out. Has it helped your anxiety? Uh, yes, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah I still you. struggle with a couple things, but um, right. yeah, it, it definitely has um, helped. And um, I think, too, just knowing that, like, I have been able to forgive my dad, too. Or, you know, things that in the past growing up, wherever they occurred in the timeline, like I've forgiven, you know, and, and I haven't completely forgot, but I don't think about things like that every day. You know, I don't bring up things like that to myself or to him or whatever, 
because I think that it's important for him to know that, like, I forgive him, but also for myself, because holding on to that, that's going to tear me apart. No, nobody else. It's affecting me. And so that was huge for me to be able to just forgive him for, you know, the wrong and just being able to move past that has been super nice and like refreshing to just kind of almost start over in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Yeah, I could even, like, when he asked you, like, how's your guys' relationship now? Your face completely changed. Like, they can't see it on the recording, obviously, (laughs) but, like, you were like, oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's super cool. That's awesome. Well, Caitlin, thanks for joining us today. It was super fun. I'm glad we got you on. I think this will be really cool for listeners. It's a cool perspective. You know, we get different perspectives with parents, and I think kids are important because, I mean, like, even as much as we don't, as much as we like, this is going to sound bad too, dude, but after, I don't even care. <laughs> like as much as like we don't value them in society and like as in like their opinions, you know what I mean? It's like, I think we're coming more around to it too, but like kids see things, they know, they're not dumb, you know what I mean? Like, and so it's important to kind of remember that like there are other ones that aren't lost. And like when we talk about the way we approach people in addiction, you know what I mean? Like, like we said, like addressing like the stigma that's out there, you know, and like addicts are this and addicts are that, like addicts are human beings with family and people that care about them. Mm-hmm. It's like our mission needs to be to help them recover as much as we can. You know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. to say that like they're, that's our sole responsibility for the rest of our lives, but like as much as we can, like as a people's and as like a caring humanity, like mm-hmm. to help people who are struggling get better and recover because they're not, they don't, nobody struggles alone. Yeah, exactly. Just don't. Well, thank you for joining us. This was you and I for the keynote.